Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Wednesday midweek. So happy that you're here. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also via email, if you want to drop me a note, let me know what's on your mind. I am at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Send me a note and uh, let me hear from you. All right, today I want to deal with the absolute clown show that is our so-called leadership in America today. It is a total clown car. It is completely embarrassing, but not for the reasons you might think. What we saw yesterday in the House of Representatives, what we continue to see today in the House of Representatives, um, should be celebrated. This is a sign of a very healthy republic. In fact, we have spent a lot of years and a lot of time on this show bemoaning the death of our representative republic. But what we are seeing unfold is actually, uh, it's a sign of life. It's a sign of life. The Republic lives. We're going to get to it, but we're also going to get to the clown car aspect of this. And no, it's not what the Republicans are doing in the House in their search for a speaker. It's something else entirely. Also today, John Solomon of Just the News will be back with more of the inside scoop of what went down yesterday, what continues to go down today in uh, the race for the speakership. He is such a great investigative and political reporter. Um, He really is one of a kind, and Just the News is extraordinary. So please go check it out if you're not already. Um, And he's going to bring us the skinny 
on what's actually going on here (laughs) on Capitol Hill. Uh, And we're also going to get to some of the stuff that we didn't get to uh, with him on Monday, like what to expect from the new GOP Congress once we do have a speaker, what we can expect from the Biden White House, congressional investigations, and if we have time, we're going to get to the 2024 presidential race with him and a lot more straight ahead. Also, on Friday, Friday is guess what anniversary? Friday is January 6th, so we're going to take that apart as well, and we're going to deal with the reality of January 6th and where we are now two years after the fact, where the facts are slowly starting to come out about what actually went down on that day. You know, give it enough time and you eventually hear the truth on everything except, of course, the Kennedy assassination. (laughs) We're going to do that this year, too, by the way. We're going to do an extensive show on that with one of the leading experts on the truth about that. So that's coming up later in the year. But first, today's Monica Memo. Yesterday, we saw the arrival of a brand new Congress. God help us. Actually, I kind of like when we don't have them sworn in. There were no swearings in yesterday. Because there's no speaker, so you can't do anything. You can't swear in the new Congress. You can't do any work until there is a new speaker. So unless and until we have that, no swearings in. But we had this arrival, so they were all like milling around, and you saw the freshmen, just like freshmen in middle school, walking around trying to find their locker. <laughs> That's what you saw yesterday. So they were all kind of milling around and, and greeting their new colleagues and yada, yada. And I kind of like the fact that they're not sworn in. I kind of like not having an active Congress. The Senate was sworn in, but there's no House. And I kind of like it like that. They can't do any damage if they're not sworn in. Can we leave it like that forever? Probably not, but it's a nice fantasy. So it is fantastic that we, we have fired Nancy Pelosi as speaker. And yes, we did that. No one else, we did it. And everybody running around blaming Trump and all this other stuff, excuse me. We, the people in individual congressional districts, deny Nancy Pelosi the gavel, the speakership, and the majority. That is a huge accomplishment, and we, the people, did it. No one else. And now we've got some great new America First uh, faces in there to help us with this fight, like Anna Paulina Luna in the Congress, like J.D. Vance in the U.S. Senate. We've got some great America First fighters in there, and they are now in the trenches with us, which, of course, McConnell hates on the Senate side, and, you know, McCarthy deals with them to the extent he has to. But I'm watching some of these goings-on yesterday on the House floor and on the Senate side with their swearings in, and it was like watching a clown car empty out. There's Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro with her purple hair and her glasses on top of her purple hair. There's Sheila Jackson Lee pushing her way to the front per usual. On the Senate side, there's John Fetterman who didn't know what planet he was on. I tweeted this out yesterday. Seriously, is being brain dead now a requirement for Democratic candidates? Is it like like part of the resume now to be part of the Democratic caucus? 
John Fetterman didn't seem to recognize his own children posing with him for photos. Pennsylvania, I really hope you enjoy your actual senator, raving communist Giselle Fetterman. The entire spectacle was pathetic. I am sure that President Xi sitting in Beijing is really worried about this, right? Really worried about this clown car Congress and clown car administration. And when you look at the Congress, I mean, how many of them are just as compromised as Joe Biden with the CCP? We know Mitch McConnell is. How many more? Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, they're all selling the country down the river for a couple of uh, dollars. That's it. It's really pathetic. It's so corrupt and it's so weak. Makes me sick. The greatest nation in the history of the world has top leaders who can't even tie their own shoelaces because they're too busy dyeing their hair purple and and dealing with their physical therapy because they've had a massive stroke and don't know what planet they're on. This is absolutely unbelievable. This is what I mean about the clown car. Not what is going on with the speaker's race, okay? That is a different ball of wax, and that is actually something to be celebrated. Let's deal first with what went down uh, yesterday and what continues to go down today as we tape this show this morning. So Kevin McCarthy yesterday, he made it clear he's not going anywhere. Listen. Are you going to stay in the race, Leader McCarthy? Yes, I'm not going anywhere. Well, there is a band of um, a couple of Republicans who have said absolutely not. And yes, to some extent, this is personal. A lot of them simply do not like Kevin McCarthy. But it's much bigger than that, actually. It is about draining the swamp. And McCarthy has been such a significant figure in the swamp, benefiting from swamp activity and behavior for so many years, that this group of Republicans is like, wait a minute. Without Donald Trump on the scene at the moment, we still need a disruptor. And we don't have him doing the political blocking for us anymore. So now it's up to us to do that. You can think that this is chaos and there are a lot of people on our side saying, oh, this is such an embarrassment. It's so chaotic. Yeah, so what? So what? The chaos and the churn and the upheaval, this is a good thing because this is the only way you get people's attention This is the only way you change things. I'm all for the chaos. I don't find it embarrassing at all. I think it's great. Bring it. This is the only way you teach people a lesson. Look, when Trump was in and he was dealing with the Chinese, he was dealing with Xi and the CCP, there was a lot of chaos there because he was trying to take them on in an aggressive way. And so we slapped massive tariffs on Chinese goods. And everybody, the whole Washington establishment, they were screaming, Mitch McConnell, oh, this is uh, causing economic chaos. This is all, oh, chaos, chaos. Why? Because it upsets their apple cart, the globalists, the ruling elite, the swamp, the regime. It upsets their status quo where they benefit They get empowered. They get richer to the disadvantage of you. 
So they don't like chaos. They don't like the upset of the apple cart. But Trump goes in like a bull in a China shop, literally, with China, and he slaps on these tariffs. The Washington establishment goes bananas. But you know what? That kind of chaos is, and that kind of pain is the only thing that got Xi's attention and brought them to the table to negotiate phase one of the trade deal. Was the trade deal perfect? No. Did China violate it? Yeah. Are they throwing it out the window now? Certainly, because Biden and his administration is not enforcing it at all. But chaos is the thing that gets your enemy's attention. Inflicting political pain, or in the case of China, economic pain, that's the thing that turns their heads and gets them to the table and gets them focused. That's what we're seeing now. So McCarthy is saying, I'm not going anywhere. Well, that, that's his prerogative, fine. And he may end up as a speaker. I, I want to get to that in a second. But the chaos move is the thing that grabs their attention. And that's why I am all for this. Here is Matt Gates, who is congressman from Florida. He is leading this group. He is leading the charge against Kevin McCarthy. And he makes a really important point here about the swamp. Listen. Those of us who will not be voting for Kevin McCarthy today take no joy in this discomfort that this moment has brought. But if you want to drain the swamp, you cannot put the biggest alligator in charge of the exercise. There you go. If you want to drain the swamp, you can't put the biggest alligator back in charge of the exercise. He's making a fundamental point here about the swamp and the need for this kind of fight now. You put yourselves on the line. You don't run away. Look at what happened on the Senate side. On the Senate side, they're scurrying away from McConnell because they're all petrified. The only one with any kind of courage on the Senate side well, you've got some. You've got like Ted Cruz. You, you do have some. And hopefully J.D. Vance coming in. But, you know, Rick Scott was the only one who stood up and said, oh, okay, I'll take on McConnell. But he did it in a half-hearted way. And I like Rick Scott. And he's a good man. And I thank him for at least, you know, having some courage to stand up and say, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. But this kind of exercise right here by Gates and the crew is going to bust it open And every establishment Republican from Ronna McDaniel, whose race is coming up soon. By the way, have you seen her? She's been all over Fox. She's been elsewhere. And she is shaking in her boots. And she should be. And frankly, McConnell should be as well. You know what McConnell is doing today? McConnell is hosting Joe Biden in Kentucky. When we come back from the break, I want to deal with the other Republican a-holes. Okay. And there's no other word for it. I'm sorry. But these people do not have your interests at heart. So we're fighting a multi-front war here. It's not just the left and the Democrat communists and the propaganda press and the regime and the weaponized government against us, the entire executive branch from DOJ, FBI, DHS, uh, you name it. Okay, plus you're dealing with the international enemies of the United States. You're dealing with the transnational organizations like the World Economic Forum, World Health Organization. They are all targeting us. 
So you would hope and pray that you had some reliable and loyal, dedicated resistance within the own party, the little bit that we have, the crumbs that we have, you would think that they would stand up and fight for us. But no, they don't. They don't. And this is what Gates and the crew is fighting against. McCarthy happens to be standing there. Next, the next uh, round of fight we're going to have is uh, Ronna McDaniel. But I mean, this is how pathetic this is. Gates and his merry band of Republicans fighting against, like you got, you got a handful of people against this globalist and national suffocating force that's killing us and crushing us. And this is how sad it is that we got, you know, the small little band fighting back and they're the enemy. Come on. It's the exact opposite. Okay. So Byron Donalds, who was just on this show, congressman from Florida, um, he stood up last night and he actually switched his vote from Kevin McCarthy. He did it twice, but in the third round, switched his vote to Jim Jordan. Listen. Donalds. Jordan. So it's unfolding today. We're going to see how this shakes out. But, you know, honestly, here's the bigger point. Regardless of who wins the vote, who ends up speaker, Matt Gates and the group, they have already established themselves essentially as the speaker of the house. Why? Because nothing is going to get done without that coalition's support. And Gates and everybody else, they're going to have to go to them because the majority is so tight, 222 Republicans. Anything that is going to get done is going to have to go through them. They're going to be the de facto speakers of the House. So it doesn't matter, McCarthy now or whatever, they have made their point and they have shown their power. It just takes a few to stand up and say no. So all of these moderates, McCarthy, etc., they're going to have to go through Matt Gates and the rest of them in order to get anything done. That is a major victory. Okay, so this exercise, don't listen to the people saying, oh, it's chaos, it's out of control, it's crazy. No, they showed strength, courage, and principle, and fight. They showed fight. And so they showed all of us that they are willing to stand up and give us a voice when so few will. Donald Trump did that, but Donald Trump is now marginalized, at least for the time being. Yes, he's got still got big influence, but he's not a fighting on the floor player right now. And so we need these other disruptors backed by Trump, who's off the scene right now. But these people showing strength, courage, principle, and fight, we need them. And we should be thanking them and rewarding them for doing this on our behalf. That is a huge victory. That is a win. And that is to be celebrated and elevated, not crushed and dismissed, period. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, um, I've got a couple of other thoughts on this, and I want to deal with this Senate side and Mitch McConnell. I am so, I'm sick. I'm sick about all of this and what he is actually doing today. We're going to get to it. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. 
We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. All right, welcome back. One of the things that we really lose sight of um, as we just go through life and we talk about politics, one of the big things we lose sight of is that this is supposed to be a representative republic, that all of the people that we elect into office and pay their salaries and their staff salaries and everything else with our hard-earned money, we often lose sight of the fact that They are entrusted with the public trust. When we elect them and pay for them, they're supposed to have our trust, but that trust is not by default. That trust is supposed to be earned. Again, we lose sight of that because, you know, we're busy and there are a million things coming at us, but they're supposed to earn our trust, earn our vote first during a campaign, And then when they're in office, they are supposed to every single day earn our trust. And yet you look at this speaker's race and Kevin McCarthy, like over the years, I don't know, I guess, I guess he's done some okay stuff, but he has become a swamp creature. And so what the group of Republicans is trying to force him to do is regain their trust and by extension, regain our trust. But what has he done even over the last couple of days? Guess what? He moved into the speaker's office yesterday. Pelosi just about moved out. Her body wasn't even cold yet. And McCarthy moved in. How presumptuous is that? He lost three votes yesterday, and he's moving his crap into the speaker's office? Come on. Remember during January 6th? And I'm sorry, I don't mean to make light of this, but the analogy is apt. Remember the guy who walked off with the speaker's podium? I think he's still sitting in jail, or maybe he got some sort of a sentence. I don't know. We'll deal with this on Friday on the anniversary of January 6th. But McCarthy has, like, made off with the speaker's podium. 
done the exact same thing. Oh, but Monica, he's elected. He didn't break into the Capitol. Okay, I, I get it. But go with me here on the analogy. McCarthy has presumptuously moved into the speaker suite. Unbelievable. And then the word is, and this got leaked, that uh, right before the first of his three unsuccessful votes yesterday, he was talking to the Republican caucus and it got very hostile and very aggressive. And he announced that he had, quote, earned this GD job. So profanity was flying, and I understand the frustration, high temperatures, you know, temperatures running high, the whole thing. But he said he earned this GD job. Really? Hmm. So it's an entitlement thing. I thought that only happens on the left, that whole sense of entitlement. He earned this GD job. Huh. That's interesting. And then, of course, you know, word came out at leaked that uh, before all of this went down starting yesterday, that McCarthy and an ally were explicitly threatening members of Congress to severely punish them by removing them or barring them from serving on House committees that they wanted. So I know this is brass knuckles politics, but you got to earn trust. You got to earn trust of your colleagues and you got to earn trust of the American people. And Kevin McCarthy, not so much, which brings me to someone else who also has not earned our trust. You know what's happening today? Today, Mitch McConnell, our fearless leader on the other side, is hosting Joe Biden in his home state of Kentucky to celebrate Biden's economic what? economic package, economic policy, economic disaster. What exactly are the two heads of the uni party celebrating today? No one knows. And you know what? Honestly, they don't care. This victory celebration is absolutely unconscionable because it is It's a celebration of the so-called bipartisan spending bill signed into law by Biden just a couple of weeks ago. This is totally unforgivable. Some of our conservative friends, they're all, oh, can Mitch McConnell really be this politically tone deaf? Does he not understand that Republican voters and activists and donors are enraged over the $1.8 trillion, 4,000-page-plus omnibusted bill? Well, of course, McConnell understands all of this. He's not dumb. He gets it. He just doesn't care. So he and Biden are out there celebrating the sinking of the Titanic. Whose team is he on, they ask. Well, I think we know what team Mitch McConnell's on. He is on team Mitch McConnell. He is on team Uniparty. And that is exactly the point. Mitch McConnell today is sending a signal It's a signal to America first. It's a signal to the deplorables, us. It's a signal to Trump and any disruptor. It's a signal to all of us, you are done. You had your fun with your MAGA nonsense, and now the uni party is back in control. So sit down and shut up. Behave like good little subjects And maybe we'll throw you some crumbs someday and you will be happy. 
It's like the uh, World Economic Forum slogan, by 2030, you will own nothing and be happy. Well, same thing from Mitch McConnell here. We are back in charge and you will be happy. You will be happy with the little crumbs we're going to throw your way. This is exactly what he believes. This is exactly his attitude. And this is exactly the message he is sending. This is Mitch McConnell and his uniparty buddy, Biden, celebrating that they put down the great MAGA deplorable uprising of 2016 to 2022. This is like their boxer rebellion, right? And they're celebrating today that they put it down, they crushed it. Well, they may be celebrating now, but what they failed to appreciate is that the tables always turn. Things look pretty grim right now, guys. But wait, wait, we're going to work our tails off. And the energy has already shifted. You can feel it. So we're going to work really hard. And you're going to see the tide of history always reverses. Always. That's the bigger picture. Smaller picture is that we have got to defeat Mitch McConnell. The fact that he won re-election to Senate leadership without a fight is pathetic. I mean, again, we're thankful for Rick Scott, but that was like a half-assed kind of attempt here, right? And I guess he understood, if you're going to go after the king, you have to kill the king. And I mean kill politically, okay? If you're going to attack the king, you better take him out because the king will turn on you. So you can't do this in a half-assed kind of way. Senate Republicans are the weakest group of so-called leaders that I have ever seen. They're running around on television, pushing this and that, and we're going to get to the bottom of it and put us back in charge. Nonsense. They mean none of it. They're a bunch of weak, limp biscuits, again, with a few exceptions like Ted Cruz. The uni party is all-powerful. It must be destroyed. And Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden hanging out in Kentucky today, yucking it up together, patting each other on the back, laughing at the rest of us and calling us idiots. They have benefited the most from the uniparty corruption. So they protect each other and clink champagne glasses together and cackle as the country goes down the tubes and you lose your prosperity and your freedom. This is where we are. And it's thanks in large part to reptiles like Mitch McConnell. This is why we need to take him down. And I know he just got reelected, but we've got to work on building the pressure to take him out politically. This is why in a couple of weeks we must remove Ronna McDaniel. And this is why this fight for speaker is so important. Do not allow the naysayers to tell you otherwise. Do not allow them to say, oh, this is chaos. It's so embarrassing. Can't they get their acts together? This is getting our acts together, okay? All right, we're going to hit a short break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk to the great John Solomon of Just the News to get the inside skinny on what's actually going on on Capitol Hill. And then when we come back, some final thoughts on Damar Hamlin and uh, what happened with the Buffalo Bills and, and with his tragic, tragic collapse the other day. Okay, I've got a couple of thoughts on that uh, with regard to what we saw and where we are on that. All right, so sit tight. We're coming right back. 
Well, I am absolutely delighted to welcome back as my first and second guest of the brand new year, 2023, my dear friend. He is a superb award-winning investigative journalist, John Solomon. And of course, he's had this long and distinguished career across journalism, but right now he is the founder, CEO, and editor-in-chief of JustTheNews.com, which is the place to go for the kind of breaking news and big investigative work you won't get anywhere else. He also hosts Just the News on Real America's Voice and the John Solomon Reports podcast. Both shows are absolutely fantastic. Go check them out. And John is back. John, I I am so glad, you know, we didn't get to cover like half of the stuff I wanted to cover with you on Monday, but we have all of this breaking news with regard to what is going on in the speaker's race on Capitol Hill. Can you lay us out from where we were on Monday? Yesterday, we had all of this drama on the House floor with Kevin McCarthy uh, desperately trying to win enough votes to become speaker. Can you give us the inside scoop on what is going on behind the scenes? Yeah, there was a lot of maneuvering uh, last night into the wee hours of the morning today and all morning this morning, including at a 9 a.m. House uh, Republican caucus meeting where I think uh, Kevin McCarthy tried to table set uh, the negotiations and to try to do a do-over. So let's remember where we ended last night. As the day went on yesterday, uh, Kevin McCarthy lost support. At the end of the day, by the third vote, there were 20 Republicans um, who voted against him. He can't afford to lose more than five in order to win as speaker. So he lost three consecutive votes. In fact, he got fewer votes than uh, Hakeem Jeffries did, the Democrat, who's in the minority and, the, and they're going to be the Democratic leader in the minority. So McCarthy has his work cut out for him. Last night, there was a late night uh, negotiation between uh, arranged by President Trump involving Kevin McCarthy and uh, one of the leaders of the House Freedom Caucus, which is leading the resistance. That uh, led to some constructive conversations about the sort of deal that maybe could be um, uh, developed and built. Uh, and uh, and the message was uh, relayed from the president that, hey, let's get a deal done here. This morning, the president followed that up with a uh, message on truth saying, all Republicans, get on board. Let's get Kevin McCarthy in. Let's stop this foolishness. So that is the state of play behind the scenes. Now, what has to happen? There, is, This is a game of simple math. you got to get to 218, or you have to reduce the majority that is voting uh, by people voting present. And so Kevin McCarthy is looking at that as a strategy. Can I get enough people, maybe some Democrats, some Republicans, to vote president? So I only need 210 votes to uh, win or 213 votes to win. So that's one of the strategies. My math, after talking to a lot of people today, is that there are seven hard no's right now for Republicans, meaning that he is too short. Uh, if he got everybody else, if he convinced everyone else to uh, come aboard by making negotiations, he's two votes short. Uh, he'll either have to get four or five people to vote present to make that total up uh, or find a way to get those hard no's away from him. There are, of the 20, there are seven hard no's, 13 potentially persuadables, and the 13 would get him within the striking distance of two. Kevin McCarthy needs to show progress. He needs to stop. He can't have this go wider and have 22, 23, 24 people again. him. He's got to start to reduce the number of people opposing him through negotiation. If he does, he has a fighting chance today to maybe get to some sort of a deal. If he fails today and the gap is too low, uh, large at the end of today, a lot of people believe tomorrow larger numbers 
of House Republicans will peel away from him and send a message that he has to step aside. So clock is ticking. Uh, negotiations are going on. Old-fashioned math and head counting is going on. And that is the state of play as of uh, early today. It's fascinating to watch. And I just did a, a whole monologue on this show, John, right before you, talking about how this is a great thing. I mean, I, I think this kind of disruption and, you know, people are trying to paint it as chaos and it's embarrassing. Look, without Donald Trump as an active player on the political field right now, you need people who are willing to pick up the mantle of disruption because this country is hanging by a thread and we cannot afford just to continue to go along and get along and pretend like it's politics as usual circa 1987 or even circa, you know, 2012 or, or whatever, pick a year. This is a right. completely different situation. And Matt Gates and the rest of these Republicans who are blocking Kevin McCarthy whether or not McCarthy in the end ends up as speaker, they have proven a very serious point and they have shown the Republican base, the deplorables, the America First movement, that there are members of Congress in there who are willing to stand and put their reputations right. and careers on the line to fight for us. And absent Trump in the mix right now, and it's interesting you mentioned his name, we need these kinds of fighters who are willing to stand up and say, no, we're not doing business as usual anymore. So I think it is a fantastic development that should be celebrated. Now, Donald Trump... Um, you know, his entire career prior to being president was as a deal maker. So how central is he in these negotiations? And by the way, if he's willing to, to forge a deal, this changes his whole dynamic. You know, he's sort of been, been on the back heel the last couple of weeks. This kind of propels him forward, does it not? It could. If he could get a deal together, uh, it would clearly show once again that he is the great deal maker. And uh, also that there's a sense of pragmatism here. And, you know, one of the things that I know President Trump has been telling people behind the scenes is, listen, the guys who are fighting for this, I understand their passion. I share that passion. I understand the frustration about reckless spending, about the far leftward drift of this country that the Republicans have allowed to happen the last couple of years. But those who oppose McCarthy can't answer the question, if not Kevin, then who? They haven't answered that. So if you can't answer it, then go get the best deal you can from Kevin McCarthy and go in, uh, in lockstep, arms locked together, and fight the Democrats. Make the enemy the Democrats, not our own party. That is the message he delivered. If that succeeds and a deal is made in the next 24 hours, then that magical deal maker once again emerges as someone important in one of the great historical moments in the Republican Party. And really, these guys that are opposing the 20, they've been called the Taliban 20 by some of the uh, moderates who don't like this, what's going on, uh, they're doing to Congress what Donald Trump did to the presidential race, which is to disrupt, to challenge convention, to say the status quo is not acceptable anymore. And I think there's an affinity between Donald Trump and these rebels in what they're trying to do. But there's also a moment where rebellion has to create progress. And I think that's what Donald Trump was trying to affect last night. Let's take this rebel and take all this passion and create the sort of deal that makes progress, puts the Republican Party unified, and then we go into battle with the Democrats. Yes, exactly. Because at some point, you have to take all of this passion and fire and turn it to saving America. Uh, because again, we're at this critical moment in the country. So we will so see true. how all of this unfolds. Um, now, I saw on just the news this morning, you guys have a great story about how this kind of disruption and this fight 
over the speakership is is overflowing. It's it's now going to affect other GOP establishment figures like Ronna McDaniel, who must be quaking in her boots because she's up next just in a couple of weeks, late January. Her race is coming to the forefront. And then you've got Mitch McConnell, who, yes, was reelected, but he is now super vulnerable. He doesn't think so. He's in Kentucky today with Joe Biden celebrating God knows what, the destruction of the country. But all of these GOP establishment figures have to be really worried when they're seeing what is happening now to Kevin McCarthy, right? Yeah, listen, this sends a message to anyone in Republican leadership that this isn't an entitlement. You have to perform uh, in order to keep your job. And that's what these 20 uh, are doing to uh, Kevin McCarthy. Don't give us lip service. Show us performance or guarantee how you're going to get to performance before we give you the gavel. That is the same question that Ronna McDaniel faces. She's raised a lot of money in the last few elections, but she's lost three consecutive elections, lost two outright and significantly underperformed the polls in the third election of the midterm in this past year. And so you see people like Harmeet Dillon going out there saying, listen, it isn't about how much money you raised. It's did you win the game? And yesterday I had um, a great Republicans, former football star that had uh run for the Senate in the last year. And, and he said, listen, if a football coach went two and 10 for three straight seasons, would he really get a renewed contract and, and be hired for a fourth season? I don't think so. And that's what a lot of these leaders, McConnell, McCarthy, and McDaniel are all facing right now. And so I think the activism, the passion, the idea that we got to get back to winning as Republicans, that's the, the message that these 20 are sending uh, that that is going to carry over and perhaps dominate this whole year. A lot of that energy will, will be redirected at the Biden administration, the Democratic regime. But there also will be a continued uh, fight against leaders who seem to compromise, who seem to talk fiscal conservatism, but actually deliver fiscal recklessness. And I think if you're a Mitch McConnell, uh, uh, Ronna McDaniel, if you're one of these uh, statewide office holders, like a senator who's been uh, voting with the Democrats, you're probably going to feel a lot more pressure this year than you felt in any year in the past. Yes, and you should. Because we've got to force these people to understand what time it is in America, okay? We are in a war for this country, and only one side has been fighting it, John. And that yeah. is the Democrat communists, as I call them. And so if we've got, you know, we've got a handful of people who understand that. I mean, we are faced, and I did this in the monologue today, we are faced with a globalist, monolithic pressure that is literally crushing freedom, Western freedom, American freedom. And if you don't have Republican leadership who understands the nature of this fight and how deep into it we are and how far gone this country is, we're lost. We're lost. That's what this battle for speaker is all about. Yeah, there's some personal parts to it and so on, but it's largely about that. And so whether it's the RNC race, you know, we're talking about little races here. We're talking about little things compared to the the tidal wave of oppression um, and freedom crushing energy that is coming at us. And so, you know, I, I say good on these people, Matt Gates and the rest, for pushing forward and fighting 
fighting back. We got to deal with Mitch McConnell. We got to deal with Ron McDaniel going forward. Um, assuming we do get a speaker at some point, John, what kind of first up because you've done so many great investigative uh, pieces for Just the News and beyond. What kind of investigations are they planning to tee up? What can we look forward to here? That's a great question. Listen, they're going to investigate the failure in Afghanistan, which has never gotten the proper attention from the Democrats when they controlled Congress. They're going to investigate Hunter Biden and whether Hunter Biden's business deals compromise the president and continue to compromise American national security today. Is Joe Biden making decisions on China, Ukraine, Russia, whatever uh, the uh, frenemy is, based on uh, what his son did or the fear that his son could be exposed for the money that was changing hands. They're going to take a look at the border. How do we force the border closed? How do we hold people who are not following the law accountable for not following the law? And then I think the FBI and censorship, uh, the very broad, large uh, issues that the uh, FBI and the Justice Department pose. And we had this great moment yesterday on uh, my podcast, I had uh, former assistant FBI director, one of the, he ran the criminal division of the FBI. So one of the most important jobs in all of the FBI. And he said to me, uh, I am a supporter of the FBI. I've been a fan of Chris Ray throughout his career. I don't think Chris Ray has done a good job anymore. And the FBI no longer enjoys the independence that it was legally given by Congress. It has yielded its independence and it's been co-opted by liberal DOJ ideologues. That's what he called them. Liberal DOJ ideologues now tell the FBI what to do. And that's why they're going after parents as domestic terrorists. That's why they're telling Twitter to censor dissent. That's why they're uh, concocting investigations of Donald Trump that didn't have a lawful predicate. And uh, he spoke out so eloquently and he got behind an idea that I've been talking about for seven or eight months that uh, recently Kevin McCarthy for the first time embraced that uh, Jim Jordan has now embraced creating a church-like committee, a super committee, uh, an independent commission to go in and look at the FBI and impose reform because Chris Ray hasn't been willing to give the sort of reforms that would change the direction of the FBI. So those are the big uh, opportunities, the big rewards for the conservative movement if once they resolve this issue of a speaker. Yes, 100%. I mean, the biggest threat that we face is the weaponization of our own government against us. So that kind of movement to expose the depth of corruption, hold everybody accountable. I'm going to see prison sentences here, but also the kind of reform that we need uh, from the ground up is absolutely critical. So that's the number one job. I agree. And Elon Musk has endorsed this, a kind of new style church committee. But that yeah. only works, John, that only works when you put people on the committee who are also not compromised and or in on it. <laughs> so you got to make right. sure that that you've yeah, got a composition. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, in the 70s, it really worked. They were Republicans and Democrats that worked together and recognized that what the FBI and CIA had done in the 60s and 70s was an affront to civil liberties. And they not only exposed and shamed it, they came up with reforms that actually were put in place and civil liberties were better protected. We're at that same moment. That was the important message that the former assistant director, Chris Wecker, said to me yesterday, our civil liberties are again in danger. We have First Amendment violations. We have Fourth Amendment violations. We have the FBI weaponized by liberal activists to go after political opponents, not go after crimes. So the commission has to have people maybe outside Congress. It has to have people 
who understand the FBI but are critical of the FBI, people like a Swecker or Kevin Brock, who are former FBI men that have really significantly called out their agency for failure. And it needs uh, people who are committed to civil liberties, who actually look at this and say, I know censorship when I see it. I know civil liberty violations and Fourth Amendment violations when I see it. And these are violations. We must stop them. That's the sort of committee that uh, Kevin McCarthy for the first time started talking about a couple of weeks ago. Jim Jordan's been talking about it. You build that blue ribbon panel and it's not compromised people. It's people going in with the notion they're going to disrupt the FBI to make it better. And then there could be some real change. Incredible. Uh, that would be absolutely amazing. Once we get a speaker, let's see, let's really get that done. <laughs> um, and targeting the current attorney general, Merrick Garland, who is, uh, you know, the most corrupt yeah. attorney general we've ever had, right? It is an amazing thing, the culture that he has allowed. Remember, he was directly involved in the targeting of school board parents as domestic terrorists. He was directly involved in approving of the search of President Trump's uh, home, which a lot of people, including former FBI officials, have said didn't meet the legal requirements of an FBI search. So he has been at the forefront of a lot of the decisions that most have raised civil liberties concerns in the last few years. And he has yawned at all these extraordinary revelations that his department and the FBI have been literally going out censoring Americans. Remember, we were originally told the FBI doesn't censor Americans. It just warns uh, social platforms about foreign intelligence operations run by Russia and China. We now know that is bunk, that that is not true. The FBI targeted individual reporters. The FBI targeted individual uh, uh, Americans, even politicians, an Indiana councilman, for instance, and tried to get their speech censored, not because they were working with Russia or China, but just because some people disagreed with the opinion being expressed. That is not in the FBI's charter. It's never been in the FBI's charter. And so Merrick Garland gave us a, a bogus story in the beginning, and he's yawned at the revelations that civil liberties are now in violation. He's going to be, uh, I think one of the, it might have been Matt Gates said, get a good hotel room near the Capitol. You're going to be there a lot. Yeah. I think that's probably true next year. Good, good. He deserves it. He is really uh, one of the most evil villains to ever hold that position. And I also think Congress is going to look into the Biden crime family, Hunter Biden laptop, big tech uh, suppression and surveillance, impeaching uh, Mayorkas over the border. There's going to be a lot of things. Before we let you go, John, you do such extraordinary investigative work at Just the News on deep state corruption and big tech censorship. What are you working on now? What can we expect to see from Just the News? We're going to learn some more things about what Nancy Pelosi knew before January 6th mm. and her staff's direct involvement in crafting a security plan that failed that day. As you know, from the last six months or so, I've been reporting a lot about the Capitol Police and the Sergeant at Arms were warned as, as far back as December 21st, 2020, that there were going to, going to be violence, that there was going to be a plot to storm the Capitol, disrupt the vote, and they didn't put together a plan. This is a $600 million uh, police department. So it's super well-funded. It protects one of the most important homes of democracy in this country. And it proved itself a failure on that day. This was not a coordinated terrorist attack that occurred. It was a bunch of rowdy people who got out of control and the police force was ill-equipped. They didn't have guns. They didn't have riot shields. They didn't have a security perimeter plan. Uh, and so we're going to learn a little bit more about that. And that's going to set the stage for real reform. Uh, there's the former chief, Chief Sund is out there. I'm going to be interviewing him tonight on my TV show. He says the Capitol is just as insecure today as it was on January 5th, 
2021. That can't be a, a very comforting thought for Americans. We got to get that fixed. I'm working on that in the next couple of days. Fantastic. Well, everybody, please go to justthenews.com. If you're not already, go to it multiple times a day. It's just, it's fantastic breaking news, great reporting, great investigative work that you will not get anywhere else. John, I want to thank you so much for joining me again for a second time this week with the inside skinny on what's actually going on. Uh, Great honor to be with you. Love your show, Monica. Uh, Thank you so much, John. And right back at you. The great John Solomon of Just the News. Check out his shows also on Real America's Voice and the John John Solomon Reports podcast, which is also absolutely fantastic. I'm Monica Crowley. We'll be right back. All right, guys, as we close out today's show, I just want to take another moment or two to talk about uh, this great tragedy that we saw Monday night, and it happened live on national television. Um, Damar Hamlin, who was a safety for the Buffalo Bills, collapsed of a cardiac arrest on the field. And for those in the stadium, uh, his fellow players, his family, his mother, who was there on the sidelines watching the game in real time, Uh, To watch that happen before their eyes was really, it was an unbelievable situation and so heartbreaking, so tragic to watch. And then a lot of us uh, were able to see the actual uh, tackle where he went in and he made a tackle. They were playing the Cincinnati Bengals. It was a normal tackle, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing or uh, disproportionately violent. Um, And he actually stood up and he clapped his hands before falling back and collapsing to the ground. Um, Everybody in that moment just was uh, absolutely staggered by the development, and you could hear a pin drop in that stadium. Just a hush fell across tens of thousands of people there for that big, big playoff game. Everything just came to a standstill during this game, um, and it's it's a critically important game for the end of the season, but you could hear a pin drop in that stadium, and rightfully so. And what was so beautiful to see was that players on both sides fell to their knees in prayer, praying for their their colleague, their teammate, their friend, a fellow human being. This was about humanity. So, you know, over the years, we've heard a lot about taking a knee over America's injustices and the rest of it. This was taking a knee for the only thing that really matters, which is God and your relationship with God. The power of prayer is incredible. The power of prayer is breathtaking. The power of prayer is unmatched. And we're now seeing that because the word we're getting from Hamlin's family is that he's actually taking a turn for the better. You know, a lot of people yesterday were really, really worried that this, because he had CPR on the field for nine minutes, that the denial of oxygen to the brain, that all of this was going to be a catastrophic injury, that this was going to be a catastrophic development. And yet, late last night, today, we're starting to hear that he he needed, oh, you know, right after the heart attack, and actually he had two heart attacks, which we learned today too. He had one on the field, and he was brought back via CPR. And then as he was approaching the hospital, he had a second cardiac arrest and had to be brought back a second time. So this was a series of really catastrophic uh, cardiac events for him. 
Um, and there was a lot of talk that, you know, this, this looks bad. But over the last, you know, 24 hours or so, it's looked like, it's looked like he is improving, going from 100% uh, necessary oxygen to 50%, cutting it in half. That is really a striking development in a very good way. That is a blessing. That is the power of prayer. I mean, we've got millions of people praying for this guy, right? He's only 24 years old, praying for him. And when you have so many people talking to God and praying in a single direction, miracles can happen. So keep this guy in your prayers, uh, Damar Hamlin. Pray for him. Pray for his family. It does work. Prayer does work. I've seen it in my own life, the power of prayer work, really working miracles. Miracles, like on, on the flash of a dime, I have personally experienced it. So it does work. Um, and I think we're seeing it in action now. You know, God sometimes enjoys putting on a show so that you are fully aware of his majesty and his power. And I think maybe, I hope, we're seeing it here with Jamar Hamlin. So keep that in mind. Um, the other thing I want to say about this is that it's great that we are all praying for him. But I also think it's important that we should be having a discussion about what may or may not have led to this situation, okay? It is not impertinent. It's not disrespectful to ask questions. We need to have a healthy, open conversation about what may have led to this, okay? And we don't know. We don't know. We don't know his medical history. We don't know what he may or may not have uh, done. We may not uh, know about what his heart. Remember years ago, there was a young Olympian, I think from the Soviet Union, um, a, a figure skater who was doing pairs figure skating and collapsed on the ice and I think died. He had a congenital heart problem that no, nobody knew. So again, we don't know what Hamlin's medical situation has been. So we don't know. Everything is speculation at this point. But that doesn't stop us from asking questions about why a seemingly healthy 24-year-old professional athlete would crumple to the ground during a game with not one but two cardiac arrests. We are due some answers here, okay? Because over the last two years, we have actually the last three years, starting with COVID, the onset of COVID, and then with the onset of the so-called vaccines, which are not vaccines, they are experimental gene therapies, we have seen an increase in these kinds of situations. That's just a fact. Now, nobody is tying this to Hamlin. We don't even know what his vac status is yet, okay? I think Hamlin's family, his team, the NFL, I think they all owe us um, this kind of data, I think they owe us the information about whether or not Hamlin was in fact vaccinated, um, whether or not he was boosted, when he was boosted, if in fact that's the case. These are all questions that we need to have answered here because he collapsed on national television. He is a public figure. And we have data sets, big data sets now, showing myocarditis, pericarditis, Cardiac events happening in otherwise young, healthy people, and in particular, young athletes. All across Europe, since the advent of these shots, we have seen, in particular, soccer players collapsing on the pitch. 
okay, we necessarily in the U.S. have not heard these stories because we don't always get big stories coming out of Europe, but this has been the case now since these shots debuted, okay? Young, healthy athletes collapsing on the pitch. Some of them have died, some of them have lived, but they're having cardiac arrests, okay? Again, we don't know what this situation is. We do have enough data now to know that cardiac events are a signal of these mRNA vaccines. We have had on this program, Dr. Asim Malhotra, the renowned British cardiologist. If you missed that show, go back and listen to it. We've had Dr. Joseph Ladapo, the Florida Surgeon General, uh, on this show talking about these kinds of cardiac events, myocarditis, periocarditis, etc. Go back and listen to his interview on this program. Recently, right before Christmas, we had Dr. Robert Malone, uh, who was one of the co-inventors of the mRNA vaccine, talking about cardiac events in otherwise young, healthy, especially men. So this isn't something we're pulling out of the sky, guys. This is actual concrete data that we now have about mRNA vaccines and cardiac events, again, in this kind of age group and this kind of profession, professional athletes, amateur athletes. Why? They're still doing research on this. But we have cardiologists saying, look, we think that these mRNA gene therapies are generating, you know, this synthetic spike protein. It has something to do with that. It might settle in the heart, create synthetic blood clots in the system and causing damage to the myocardium around the heart. And then when you are engaged in professional sports or amateur sports and you're running up and down a field with the dopamine and epinephrine surge, the heart cannot take the stress and you go into cardiac arrest. Again, this is all speculation at this point with regard to what's causing these cardiac events and certainly with these young, healthy athletes. But we have a right to ask questions surrounding this. Don't let anybody make you feel bad about it, okay? They put these experimental gene therapies into the arms of billions of people around the world. We have a right to ask questions and have those questions answered. We have seen the damage caused by being silenced and suspended and ostracized and thrown out of the public square. Now we're talking about issues of life and death. So do not let anybody silence you or make you feel bad for asking legitimate questions about your own health and the health of your family. That's it. Okay. All right. That's going to do it for me here on this Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you guys so much. And I appreciate you checking out all of our great sponsors as well. They're the ones keeping our our show up and running here. So we appreciate that. Have a great rest of your week. I'm going to see you right back here on Friday with another big show. We're going to talk January 6th because guess what? It's going to be the second anniversary of January 6th. We're going to take apart the truth about that, okay? So you're not going to want to miss that show. Also, next week, we're going to have a really big show. Speaking of COVID and the gene therapies, we're going to talk to Dr. Andrew Huff, who was part of the classified research program dealing with COVID-19 and the Wuhan lab. Explosive conversation. That's coming up next week. So tell all of your friends, do not miss a show. I'll see you right back here on Friday. Thanks so much. Be well.